Morning, guys. So welcome to the Sleep Performance uh, Workshop with Gary here. So he's going to take us through. Uh, it's going to be roughly a 30 minute presentation and then we're going to go through like Q&A at the end. So if you've got any questions, um, please put them in the box as we go through. And at the end, if you do think of anything at the end, obviously Gary will jump on and answer all of those for you. So thank you for all for coming this morning and thank you to Gary for taking the time out of his Saturday. Um, I'm going to pass over to Gary. We're all recording. So anyone listening back, please obviously take the feedback and any comments on board. So I'll pass you over to Gary now and I'll shut up. <laughs> Cheers, James. Thanks for having me on, mate. Yes, guys. So it'll be, a, like James says, it'll be a 30 minute presentation. Drop questions in the chat as I speak. And then uh, we'll do a Q&A for about 30 minutes at the end as well. And if you want to, you can open up your mic and have a chat with me directly. So let me just share my screen and we'll get straight into it. Awesome. So we've gone through that already. So welcome to Sleep Performance Coach Sleep Masterclass. My name is Gary Allman and I'm the head coach at the Sleep Performance Coach. So to start this presentation, we're going to talk a little bit about why sleep is so important and the correlation between uh, the risk of obesity and hours of sleep. So why is sleep so important when it comes to our weight management? 23% of the UK currently get under five hours of sleep and 29% of the UK are currently sitting in the obese category. And I believe that that number is actually higher than it is now. So I may need to update that, but I believe it's around 31 or 32% of the UK population. It just seems to be climbing consistently. So 23% are getting under five hours, which is around 18 million people, which is a huge amount of people. If we look at the direct risk here of obesity, we can see in the middle of the UK sat on under five hours. The risk of obesity is 50%. And I will touch on the science behind this later on in the presentation, but this is just some cold, hard facts here. Under four hours, the extreme end of sleep deprivation, but you're surprised how many people get by on that amount of sleep. Their risk of obesity is 75%. And under six hours, the risk is still there, but it's a lot less, it's 25%. So this lady here running on a treadmill, if we look at sleep as exercise, as well as recovery if we're getting optimal sleep between seven to nine hours and it's it's genetically right for us in regards to our sleeping patterns and our timing which i'll discuss again later on we're going to burn around 440 calories per eight hours of sleep which is the equivalent to running on a treadmill for around 40 minutes at a good solid pace so if we're getting a workout in and we're getting the right amount of sleep as well our body is still burning fat while we're sleeping. It's still burning loaded calories because it's repairing itself. So it's still using energy and it's still using um, fuel that's had from the day to do those processes and carry out all that work whilst we are asleep. We're just not consciously aware of it. So get optimal sleep and get really good workouts in. You'll 10x your results when it comes to the gym and obviously recovering properly as well. Sleep deprivation is a big, big factor when it comes to these warning signs, but a lot of people go through their lives and they don't actually think that they are sleep deprived, even though they experience these uh, numerous days during the week. I myself, I've been in this category, you know, I just reach for coffee as a, as a substitute, or I just go outside and get some fresh air. The reality is I had a massive sleep problem when I was working my old corporate job, and I'd always have brain fog. I feel fatigued in the afternoon, and I just get up out of my seat and go for a quick walk. Reduced creativity, lack of motivation. I was getting sick constantly as well. I'm probably ill, you know, four or five times a year, which 
you're usually on meal once or twice a year now. Um, memory issues as well. You'd always forget short-term things. You'd have, people would have to repeat stuff to you. Don't necessarily think that it's sleep deprivation, though, because people think that they're getting eight hours in bed. So that means they're getting seven and a half hours or eight hours of sleep. Reality is they're probably getting six hours or less of really poor quality sleep where their REM and their deep sleep is not where it needs to be. And that's the big driver behind these warning signs here. And as a result, we underperform at work or in our career as entrepreneurs, whatever we're doing, we binge on caffeine. Like I've said, I'd always do that. I was my go-to get out of jail card. Prescription drugs. I mean, if you go to a GP and you say you've got a sleep problem, they give you a prescription. They don't send you to someone like me, unfortunately, otherwise my business would be very good. Um, but uh, prescription drugs is the alternative, or unfortunately, you just have to suffer with it. That seems to be the way the industry is. Excessive alcohol, we always turn to that to aid sleep. If we are struggling, a glass of wine can help relax us, but it doesn't help our sleep quality. So we end up in that vicious cycle, always relying on it. Relationship issues can be a factor. We can have really short-term um, problems with our partners. We can have uh, silly little arguments over irrelevant things because we're all sleep deprived and we're stressed. And bad decisions don't necessarily mean gambling like this image shows, but obviously we make wrong food choices. We can hang out with the wrong people even, and we just make the wrong life decisions because we're just not where we need to be in regards to our focus and our creativity. So that is a massive, massive broad spectrum there for sleep deprivation, but it is the really integral part of our health and our concentration when it comes to our mental capacity. And all of this stuff is linked in some way. So the benefits of sleep, we obviously have improved cognitive ability. We're sharper, we can make better decisions. We, we're more productive, we can think better. We lose fat, we gain muscle, we increase our longevity. Our happiness and mood are massively, massively improved and our energy and productivity is sky high as well. So health optimization formula. Let's look at this from the bottom here. So all of the guys on this call and everyone going to be watching the replay, you've got the right mindset here because you've invested your time and your money with James to keep you accountable and uh, ready to take action was the mindset that you had when you made that decision. Now sleep is the pillar of our health. Now we need to tick that box first to get maximum results we can with nutrition and fitness. Now, of course, we will get results with nutrition and fitness. That's just a given because we're making radical changes. However, if we pack sleep on top of that as well and sleep um, as the priority before we touch on fitness and nutrition fully, our results can potentially be huge rather than just tackling nutrition and fitness and getting average or good results, we can get great results with sleep as well. So the accountability is obviously the coach at the top. You know, I coach my clients on this and James is doing the same with you guys. But if we know all of those aspects, then our health will be the best it can possibly be for us. Sleep is the ultimate when it comes to recovery. Now, when I say recovery, I mean active recovery. I don't mean passive recovery. Active recovery, we think of things like ice baths, we think of uh, foam rolling, we think of stretching, or even just going for a light walk after the day of a heavy workout. But sleep is the ultimate because so many processes are going on whilst we are asleep. So like I said, we're not consciously aware of what's going on, of course we're not, but so much is happening. The brain is being cleansed by the lymphatic system. The lymphatic system is removing toxins from the body and we are producing growth hormone from the pituitary gland as well. 
plus a host of other things which I'll touch on as well. But if we're neglecting our sleep, we're never going to be recovered, never going to be rested. And ultimately, our workouts are going to suffer as well. So if we have a plan that we're trying to stick to, our motivation is going to be really, really low. And it's going to be very, very hard to push us down the path to actually get the results we want. So like I said, nail the sleep first, get the recovery that we need from each workout, and then we can get the results that we want. Sleep drive and sleep pressure. <clears throat> I'll just quickly touch on this. So as we go through the day, we have a chemical released from our cells called adenosine. Adenosine is a byproduct of adenosine triphosphate or ATP, as we call it. And it's released from the cells as the cells break down, as we move, as we work out, as we just go through our day-to-day -day lives. And it actually builds up in our brain and causes us to feel sleepy. Now, alongside that, we also have our circadian rhythm, which again, I'll touch on soon, or our circadian weight drive. So that will drive us alongside that rhythm, sorry, alongside that buildup of adenosine to feel sleepy at the right times. So sometimes we can feel sleepy in the afternoon, which means that the adenosine is there, but our circadian rhythm is not synced properly and we're feeling sleepy at irregular times. So maybe we've not had enough daylight that day, maybe we've not had enough movement, maybe we've not had a good night's sleep the night before and our circadian rhythm is off. So bringing awareness to this stuff and when we're feeling sleepy, we're feeling sleepy around four o'clock each day, you know, we need to do something about it because we need to be feeling sleepy around half eight, nine o'clock or sometimes later for some people. So if we have all of that in sync, then that's the golden ticket to sleep. And I will touch on circadian rhythm in quite some detail as we go through this. So what is a circadian rhythm? So our circadian rhythm and every single human being on the planet has a circadian rhythm. It's our biological clock. So it's when the body likes to do things throughout the day. Just like us, as we go through our day, we don't do everything at once. We do very particular tasks at certain times of day because that's when we feel that that can be done to our best of our ability. So the body is the same. The body will not try and do everything at once. It won't give you the best reaction times or the best level of strength at the same time. It may have the best reaction time in the morning and the best muscle cell activation later on in the day because it can be hard for the body to turn these things on and off when it needs to. So if we look at this uh, chart here, this um, image here, it will show a rough approximation of the, the body's circadian rhythm processes throughout the day and over a 24 hour period. So when we wake up in the morning, one of the first things we do, we always go to the toilet, that's the body turning everything on. And then we go, you know, we, as we wake up, we start to a feeling increase in body temperature, we start to get going for the day. You know, if we work out in the morning, our muscle strength might be there in the morning or our reaction time might be there in the morning. And this is the body just kind of switching on the lights as we go through the day. So be aware of this, be aware of when you feel like you can perform at your best. And I will touch on how our genetic circadian rhythm can sync along with a, with a circadian rhythm as a whole. There's a lot more detail to unpack on this guys, but this is just a brief overview of how the body operates and how we can uh, be aware of our uh, daily cycle when it comes to our performance and our bodies as a whole. So our biological rhythms, I've mentioned we have circadian rhythm, but we also have the brain working on a one second uh, time to access information on average sleep stages, an hour and a half or 90 minutes. As we go through the night, you know, if we track our sleep, we'll see the sleep stages usually move in that rhythm as, they, as we peak go through different stages of sleep. Sleep cycles one day, of course, 24 hours. Menstrual cycle, 28 days for women. Pregnancy is nine months. 
and a weather app as well, we can go on that. We can see the rise and fall of the tide, the rise and fall of the sun, everything is on that cycle. And like I said, human beings are no different. So we just need to bring as much awareness to that as possible and use anything that we learn, um, hopefully from this presentation to make it as simple as possible. So in the morning with our circadian rhythm, we have an increase in cortisol. And that's a very, very small amount, but it's enough to open our eyes and get us out of bed and actually get the heart pumping where it needs to be. Because obviously while we're resting, we're going to have our lowest resting heart rate. We need to have a waking heart rate and the cortisol helps to increase that. Now at the bottom here, we also have an increase in our body temperature. So this is how the body temperature fluctuates throughout the day, dependent on our circadian rhythm. So it's going to be the coolest in the uh, late part of the night. That's when we're likely to experience the deepest stages of our sleep between 10 p.m. and 6. That's when the body likes to be cool. And that links back to our ancestral times. We used to sleep outside all the time and we didn't have the luxury of thermal insulation or double glazing in our homes. We'd be outside in the wild and our skin would adapt to that temperature decrease once the sun went down. So that will be the trigger for um, deep sleep. And that will be the trigger for us to actually go to sleep. So that's when um, things like environment can come into play. If we have a really hot environment, we need to audit our bedroom. We need to maybe look at how hot it is in there. The ideal temperature, guys, is 16 to 18 Celsius, which may seem really cold for some people. Um, but that's the temperature that we, are, uh, we have seen to get the best quality sleep. So if we're waking up consistently feeling hot, maybe we do need to look at our bedding, we need to look at our environment as a whole and keep it as cool as possible. That can be a really, really thing, simple thing to implement and it can be a massive win when it comes to our overall quality of sleep because that's what our body is naturally looking for. And at the top again, we can see an increase in melatonin, which is a sleep promoting hormone alongside other things like serotonin and dopamine. And then we can see the decrease of, of uh, cortisol in the evening as well. So again, if we're working out too late in the day, we're jacked up with cortisol. It's going to be competing with the melatonin. It's going to be very, very hard to actually get the right level where the cortisol needs to dip and the melatonin needs to increase because they're just going to be running parallel with each other. So we need to factor that. If we're working out, say, 8 or 9, 9 p.m. and then going to bed at 11 or 12, even then that could be um, too um, early on. So ideally four to five hours before bed is the perfect time to work out. So we consider that if you do work out in the evenings, there may be times where you're just lying in bed and you feel physically tired, but you're wired and you can't get to sleep. Your brain won't switch off. It's because your body's pumping cortisol through it because you've worked out. And obviously on top of that, your core temperature is going to be higher when we need to be experiencing lower core temperatures to get good quality sleep as well. So three clocks, we have our solar clock. Uh, rise and fall of the sun that's a big big driver with our circadian rhythm biological that's just our um, overall 24-hour picture of our clock and how the body works and we have our social clock as well which is of course our social hours our nine to five whatever we do hanging out with friends whatever it is that is our social clock so circadian rhythm and light now <clears throat> light is the uh, one of the biggest influences if not the biggest influencer on our circadian rhythm so if we're getting out of bed in the morning, and even if it's bright outside, which is coming straight to the desk, we're not getting outside, likelihood is two or three hours later, you're gonna feel sleepy because your brain has not had enough natural light coming in through the light sensing proteins in the eye, which are actually called melanopsin, to tell the brain to stop producing melatonin fully and to start the weight process as best as possible as it can. So the brain will always do the weight process, but it won't necessarily do it 
to the full extent if it's only getting a small amount of daylight. So it, will, it, will, it won't be sure, it'll be a little bit confused. Do I turn off melatonin? Are we still going back to sleep? I've not had enough light to tell me that I need to fully cease this process. So this is why when we go outside in the sun, instantly we feel better, we feel a bit more energetic. How many times do we go on holiday and we just feel more relaxed and we feel, of course, we don't have the stress of work, but we feel more relaxed, we feel better, we get out in the sun and instantly our mood changes. Now this is because light is altering the brain and it's altering the processes inside the body. It's the biggest driver for that aspect and it's one of the biggest drivers for our circadian rhythm as well. Now, of course, in summer, it's gonna be easy to get outside in the morning and get daylight or wherever you live in the world, if you live in Dubai or you live in a hot country, it's very easy to get natural light. But you'd be amazed how many people still don't do it. Be amazed how many people sit at their desk and they don't get it. There's a reason my desk is in front of the window here because when I'm working, I can still get the natural light coming in. In winter, of course, it's gonna be hard because we get up, it's dark, it's gloomy, it's horrible, but I will be sending a document over to you, James, that highlights some bedroom products that we can actually use that actually emit the same light pigmentations as the sun, and we can use them in winter, such as sunrise alarms or even just natural daylight emitting um, uh, uh, lights as well that we can have in our bedroom. Really, really beneficial. I understand in the UK, winter is horrible for getting daylight, but there are products out there now that are fantastic. And we've done our research on them as well. And you know we wouldn't recommend them if we didn't. So that's a, just uh, a solution for you guys there. We're not focused on the problem. We can focus on the solution. What can we do in the winter to get the light? When in the summer, obviously it's easy. We can still help our circadian rhythm, even if it's dark outside by having an optimal bedroom environment. So that's just a quick overview there of uh, light and the influences on it. So if you can today, get outside as much as you can and get as much natural light as you can and help the processes going on inside your body. So chronotypes, so this sinks into circadian rhythm now. So chronotypes are our genetic makeup for our circadian rhythm. So like I said, we have 24 hour clock where our circadian rhythm ticks every task off throughout the day that it wants to do. But on top of that, some people start earlier and some people start later or finish later. Now, if you're a morning lark, you're going to be a person that can get out of bed around 5 or 5.30 and you can feel great because your circadian rhythm begins earlier and your processes begin a lot earlier throughout the day. So this is 30% of the population as an average. So we're going to be really, really creative. We're going to be really productive in the morning and our hormones are going to be higher in the morning as well, especially testosterone for blokes. So um, we can work out more. Uh, if we feel good, you know, we feel strong in the morning and we're a morning lark and everything else is ticked, you know, best off working out in the morning. Um, <clears throat> we can have a morning routine, seven till nine. Morning meetings, like I said, creativity, problem solving, critical thinking between 10 and 12. And that's where our brain's going to be peak capacity. Um, and then creative thinking, which is the opposite of critical. We think about our plans for the future. We think about, you know, things like social media content, even if we do that for a living, for our entrepreneur and uh, entrepreneur mindset, sorry. Uh, one till five is the best for that. Exercise, cold shower, you know, five till six. Dinner, six till seven. That seems really early for some people. Most people have dinner around seven or eight. But if we give ourselves that window between uh, dinner and bed, four hours or more, then we can limit digestion before we go to sleep. And again, I will talk about that as we go through. Socializing and relaxing between seven and 10. And then in bed at 10 and lights off at half 10. So that's an example of a morning light. That's not, you know, carbon copy, you know, take that as it is, but that's just an overview there 
of someone who would sit in that category. So their circadian rhythm will be doing different things at different times, a lot earlier than the opposite, which of course is a night out. 70% of the population sit in this category, which is obviously a large portion of the population. Their wake up time will be on average around seven, half seven. So a lot later, of course, in the morning lark. Morning routine begins around the same time, but as you go through the day, they're eating at different times, they're creatively thinking at different times, they're critical thinking at different times. If you look at it here, it says tackling hard tasks, meetings between two and six. So it's a lot different to the morning lark where it was uh, 10 o'clock till 12. And then exercising uh, later and eating a lot later as well, two hours and finishing at nine and then in bed and lights out by midnight. So that's obviously giving a seven hour window for sleep. We can, of course, optimize that because the adult population needs 79 hours on average. So we can optimize that. But if you feel like you're a night owl, you feel like you really struggle to get up early, then don't try and fit yourself into a morning lark. Listen to what your body's telling you and then consider the optimal schedule that you need for sleep. Build your schedule, guys, around your sleep, not your sleep around your schedule. That's probably my biggest bit of advice. Understand what you need. If you need seven hours, fantastic. Block out that seven hour window and build everything else around it. Still gives you 17 hours in the day to um, do what you need to do, exercise, work, socialize, whatever it is, but you're still getting seven hours of quality sleep that your body actually needs at the right time of day as well. So how much sleep do you need? Seven to nine hours. Like I said, that's the figure that we um, hear from the National Sleep Foundation, but most people chase magical eight hours. We hear that a lot, you've got to get your eight hours in. Don't actually know if it's best for us. We might actually function better on seven because our body is doing the amount of work that it needs to and it's not overstretching itself for another hour. And then obviously you're waking up feeling tired because your body's done extra processes whilst you're asleep that it doesn't need to do. And likewise, if we, if we need nine hours and we're chasing eight, we're always gonna feel sleepy. So this is why we need to listen to what our body is telling us. How much sleep are we getting? We can track this stuff and I will be sharing a document with how you guys can do that as well. I'll give that to James and he can roll that out to you. We need to listen to how we feel in the morning. If we're getting seven hours and we feel fantastic, no need to try and get more. If we're getting seven hours and we still feel tired, maybe we do need to maybe look at our evening routine and our timing with our nutrition and everything else. Or maybe we need to look at how much light we're getting. Or maybe we need to look at um, adjusting it to seven and a half hours or eight hours. And understanding all of this stuff is how we improve our sleep. It may seem really complicated. It may seem like, oh, I haven't got time for that. But it's just simple awareness patterns that we can turn on, go, mm, I feel like a six out of 10 today for my energy and I got seven hours of sleep last night. Maybe I need to try and get seven hours 20, seven hours 30 tonight and see how I feel the following day. Once we understand that number, which can only take around a week or two, then we can just lock that number in and go, right, that is my blueprint for how I perform my best how I can be the most productive, be the most um, focused and be the most driven version of me. Rather than getting six hours one night, eight hours the next, and then catching up at the weekend, which you can't do by the way, because you have sleep debt. <laughs> you get 10 hours on the weekends and then go back in that circle. Stick with that religiously as much as you can. I guarantee you the benefits will be huge. So sleep cycles, four to five cycles per night for someone who's sleep deprived, which would be six to seven and a half hours as we gradually level up. So elderly and the insomniacs will be four cycles. We'd always like to start someone like that at six. We'd never, ever want to push them to seven or eight or nine hours. We'll always start with six hours for someone who is severely sleep deprived and then gradually level up. So if you are in that category, guys, don't chase seven. I know I've just talked about it saying seven to nine hours is the optimal. 
but chase six first and then gradually increase it. If you try and increase it too much, it's gonna to be too overwhelming, it's gonna to be too difficult. And if you don't hit it, you're just gonna build stress and anxiety. Same if you're coaching any of your clients around sleep, don't try and get them into that category too soon because they'll just feel like a failure, they'll feel like they can't hit that number. So once they tick six off, then we can look to six and a half and seven. Then once they feel better, then we can get them into that routine of seven to nine hours and you can understand exactly how much they need uh, consistently per night as well. So this is the document that I will share with you, James, to uh, roll out to your clients. And any of you guys can obviously copy this and roll it out to your own clients if you want to. Please, of course, don't use the logo on it, but you can edit this document. So this will be a fantastic way of bringing awareness to your own habits and your clients' habits as much as you need. You can print as many copies of this as you want. And you can show how consistent they are, uh, how many disturbances they have during the night, what their wake-up time was, what their bedtime was, how many... Um, hours in total in bed and how much sleep they got if they're tracking it of course if they're spending 10 hours in bed and only getting seven or six hours and there's a big problem we need to bring awareness to um, people can use this alongside sleep trackers you know such as aura ring fitbit or whatever but if they don't have the money to invest in that then this is the best way to actually help them with their sleep for the first portion what time do they stop drinking? If they're drinking too late and they're getting up in the night to go to the toilet consistently, then we need to look at that. What time do they finish eating? You know, like I mentioned, we need to allow three to four hours for digestion to complete before we go to bed and then allow the brain to actually fully enter into sleep state rather than going from sleep to digestion, sleep to digestion. What time do they exercise? Exercise timing is crucial, depending on how we feel. There's no point dragging ourselves to the gym if we feel tired and we've been we usually work out in the morning and we have skipped, missed the workout. We're trying to work out in the evening. It's just not going to be beneficial in the long run. And then at the bottom here, we can't quite see it, but it will ask you to rate your energy, your alertness and your mood on a scale of one to 10. So again, this ties into the time to bed. If we're consistently nailing our bedtime and our wake time, but our energy is really poor, then we need to look at every single other factor on this sleep journal. We need to go, okay, so my nutrition needs changing. Maybe my body temperature is too high because I've worked out too late etc etc so there's a little bonus for you james as long as bedroom products i'll send this over and there's two more documents that i'll uh, send over as well but i'll talk through that as we go through the rest of this presentation common reasons for sleep disturbance so i'm going to dive into this in a bit more detail now i've mentioned late night eating okay so three to four hours is the ideal window or even three to five hours there's some uh, conflicting research out there but the, basically the blueprint is three hours the longer we leave it before we go to bed. So if we have dinner at six and we go to bed at 11, fantastic. If we have dinner at seven, we go to bed at 10, it's still three hours, fantastic. The reason being, that's such a bad idea. The body is in a rest and repair state. So it's moved from the sympathetic nervous system being active during the day to respond to possible threat or, you know, from exercise stresses and things like that to moving more into the parasympathetic. Now, throughout the day, the two sides of the nervous system are obviously running parallel but one may be more active than the other, depending on the situation we're in. But ideally in the evening, the parasympathetic rest and digest needs to be at the top of the tree, needs to be the number one priority. So if we're eating late, we're gonna activate our sympathetic nervous system, which is gonna stress us out internally because the body is not ready to digest the food. The body's gonna release cortisol, which is gonna wake us up and uh, make us feel more alert. And we're gonna increase our core temperature we're gonna increase confliction between the brain. So the brain's gonna be sending signals to the stomach to digest the food. It's also gonna be sending signals to the rest of the body to go to sleep. So it's gonna be producing melatonin. 
It's going to be producing serotonin, dopamine, and all sorts of other <clears throat> chemicals such as theanine, any magnesium it's got in the brain as well. It will be releasing that into the muscles to relax the muscles, things like that. So all of that needs to be done by the brain. So if it's trying to digest food at the same time, tell the stomach to break down the food, there's going to be a bit of pandemonium going on inside the body. So it will increase our stress response inside our body and it will disrupt our circadian rhythm as well. So this is why eating in a consistent window or eating in a, at a consistent time is so crucial for our sleep quality. The main portion of sleep it will affect will be your deep sleep because your body will never be able to enter into a much deep sleep as it needs to because it's got cortisol running through it because the sympathetic nervous system is active and our core temperature is too high. And like I said earlier, 16 to 18 Celsius is the environment we need. But if our core temperature is jacked up because we've eaten too late, then we're really going to struggle to enter into that and we're really going to struggle to feel cool enough to get the quality deep sleep we need. On top of that, our metabolism will slow down. And throughout the day, the following day, we're likely to have an increase in appetite. If we do this consistently enough, our appetite levels will be a lot higher than if we actually focus on our timing and our getting good quality sleep. We'll have high levels of cortisol in the body consistently, and we'll want carbs to increase serotonin because the body can't produce it because it's got too much cortisol to contend with to balance the cortisol. So how many people comfort eat? How many people that you work with say that they comfort eat in the past, and now they want to make a change. It's likely because they were stressed, not necessarily from sleep, but from other factors. But if we add sleep on top of that, then we're going to want carbs even more. We're going to want fast, convenient food because the body's looking for serotonin because it makes us feel good. High sugar food makes us feel good. And ultimately, it's not got the energy to seek out and make proper decisions as well. So we're always going to be looking for the quickest alternative to actually get the energy that the brain and body need because they are sleep deprived. So we have an increase in hunger hormones as well. Ghrelin, 20% and leptin, 15% respectively. 35% of course overall, which is the equivalent to someone eating breakfast, lunch and dinner and then having another dinner. Now, reason being, we've had our caloric intake for the day, but because our hunger hormones are high, they're sending signals to the brain that they need more food. So the stomach needs more food. So ghrelin will seek out the appetite and then leptin will tell us when we're full. So if leptin's increased, we don't know when we're full properly. So we're still going to feel empty and ghrelin, our appetite is going to be up. So we're going to seek out more food that we don't need. And that's when the weight gain comes in. So the more sleep deprived we are, the more that increase goes up. That can go up a lot more than 35%. And then that's when the vicious cycle continues of us running on five hours a night or five and a half hours and getting really, really poor nutrition because our brain just doesn't have the capacity to make critical decisions that are gonna benefit us in the long run. So this is why, again, sleep is so crucial when it comes to weight loss. And we can't just tick the weight loss box with nutrition and fitness if our sleep is crap. It's gonna be very, very difficult to maintain it and make it sustainable if we part ways with our coach and our sleep goes back to being where it was before. So poor decisions, we crave high fat and high carb I've talked about. We make around 200 food choices per day. Now that may seem like a huge number, but there's around 500 papers written on that. So feel free to Google it guys if you want. 95% of those decisions are made by our subconscious mind. So if we have um, poor sleep, then our subconscious mind is gonna be taking over and it's gonna not allow the frontal lobe, critical thinking part to form new habits form the uh, patterns that we want to change such as eating badly and uh, of course exercising so the frontal lobe is just going to go to sleep because that takes around up 20 percent of our uh, daily energy and our subconscious mind is going to eat away at us it's going to go back into the old patterns that we want 
And ultimately, if it's the more and more sleep private is, the more uh, poor the decisions are when, they, when uh, in regards to their overall quality. So, 95% of that is uh, our subconscious mind. So that just shows how critical it is that we get the sleep that we need, so we can activate the frontal lobe and decrease that number to actually allow us to make better decisions and enforce new habits in the long run as well that then become subconscious when we need them to be. Most abused substance in the world. So we're gonna move on a bit from weight loss now. We're gonna talk about the most abused substance in the world, which is of course the humble coffee bean. Everyone abuses caffeine. I say everyone, about 95% of the population abuse caffeine, more so in America. Everyone grows and grabs their Dunkin' or their Starbucks or their Costa in the morning on the way to work, and they rely on caffeine. And nine times out of 10, it's because they've got poor sleep. It's very, very rare that they just enjoy it and they like having a cup in the morning. So this is an overview here of how um, much caffeine is in the system. And it says at the bottom here, this is based on 100 milligrams of caffeine in eight ounces of coffee. So it's just a standard size cup. And the metabolic half-life of this caffeine is six hours. So obviously half-life total is uh, six, but the full life is 12 hours. So one cup will stay in your system, trace amounts will be in your system for 12 hours. So if we're piling on the caffeine throughout the day, never really gonna allow it to exit our system. And it's always gonna be a factor in our sleep quality. And caffeine, just so you know, guys, doesn't increase your energy. People think it does. People think it wakes them up. It doesn't. Taken at the wrong time, it will have no effect. Taken at the right time, when we have little in our body, it will increase our focus. It won't make us feel invincible, but it will make us um, make sharper decisions and increase our focus for a finite amount of time as well. So this person here is waking up at six. They have their first cup of coffee at 8 a.m., by 9 a.m. they're 100 milligrams in their type in their body, sorry. 12 p.m., second cup, 166. This is how the levels dip throughout the day. But by 3 p.m., they've had their third cup, 210 milligrams now in their body, which isn't a huge amount. Uh, most people can get by on having up to 400 milligrams in their system per day. But just go to show with the timing here that eight hours after they've had that cup, they still have 70 milligrams in their body. Even 24 hours after, so when they've woken up for the following the next day, they've still got 27 milligrams in their body, which is the equivalent to a, uh, a cup of espresso. Now, that may seem silly because espresso is quite strong, but it's just the coffee. There's and it's usually one or two beans that just ground down really fine with a bit of hot water. 27 milligrams is enough to affect your sleep, especially your REM sleep. And I will touch on that a bit more. So as we go through the day, like I mentioned with adenosine build up, we look at the two molecular structures here of caffeine and adenosine, they are out by one molecule, okay? So adenosine will sit in receptors in the brain to make us feel sleepy. If we have too much caffeine, caffeine will sit in those same receptors because the molecular structure is only one molecule different. So caffeine can fit in those same receptors and stop us feeling sleepy. So as the caffeine wears off, We'll feel sleepy at regular times, which I mentioned earlier on with our circadian rhythm. And that can cause us to then reach for more caffeine and go through that cycle again. The caffeine fills in the receptors. It restricts the blood flow in the brain as well. Doesn't allow the brain to actually flush out as much of it as it needs to. And then as it wears off, again, we feel sleepy and vice versa. So the more caffeine we drink, the easier it is to um, have really poor sleep. And ultimately people will say to me, 
I can have a cup of coffee at 11 p.m. and I can still go straight to sleep. It's because they're used to it. Their caffeine sensitivity is so low. They're physically tired, but their brain will not get the restoration it needs because it doesn't have the proper process to actually remove the caffeine from their system because they've become so used to that. So when they wake up in the morning, what do they do? They reach for more caffeine. Their sleep quality will be greatly affected, but they may still be able to fall asleep quite fast. So consider that if you're still going to sleep really quickly, you know, within like two or three minutes of, of hitting the bed, but you're waking up feeling tired and groggy, it could also be caffeine that's affecting you, especially if you become dependent on it and you reach for sort of one or two cups before around 10 a.m. Caffeine really is a huge, huge player, especially in modern times when everyone's drinking it. And not talking about just coffee, I'm talking about Red Bull, talking about sports drinks, all sorts of stuff. So this can be a huge, huge um, game changer when it comes to breakthroughs as well. So you can sit back with your clients. Maybe you ticked all the other boxes and their sleep's still crap. Maybe they've become too dependent on caffeine and they're having caffeine at irregular times as well, guys. So amount per cup. So obviously at the extreme end of the scale here, we've got freshly brewed coffee, which is around 95 milligrams or more, depending on what we have. Obviously less milk, you know, it can potentially be stronger. Red Bull around 80 can of coke 40 shot of espresso 27 green tea and hot chocolate amount of people that have hot chocolate before bed to relax is, is quite a few especially in winter time 19 milligrams still of caffeine in that so that can be enough to affect your sleep and decaf coffee even has trace amounts of caffeine in it as well so all of this over time if we consistently consume these resources of caffeine you know we can greatly greatly affect our sleep quality so morning routine. Now this is where caffeine can tie in nicely. Um, morning routine document. I will send over this with you. Uh, sorry, to you, James. And I'll also send an evening routine document over as well. So morning routine document is about taking you from zero to hundred as quickly as possible and knowing the best things to do at certain times in the morning to get you to where you need to be. Evening routine. It's quite the opposite. We need to know when to relax. We need to know when our cutoffs are and our non-negotiables if we want to implement those as well. But ultimately, we want to be moving from light in the morning to dark in the evening. We want to be moving from warm in the morning to cool in the evening. So if we can stick to that principle, we're likely to improve our sleep quality. So again, lightness in the morning, darkness in the evening, temperature increase in the morning, and then cool temperature in the evening to aid deep sleep and uh, restorative sleep as well. What the best sleep of your life could mean for you. So more time back into your schedule because we've condensed our sleeping window down. We are more efficient. We know exactly what our sleep does for us and how much of it we need. And we get the rest of the time in the day to do what we want rather than feeling tired, unproductive, not focused and just wasting time throughout the day. Improved immunity. So obviously we, we don't get <coughs> sick. <coughs> Excuse me, it says coughing, reading that statement out. Um, we don't get sick, we have a better cell restoration response and we have a better um, balance of our hormones as well. And our immune system, white blood cells, et cetera, is a lot better. Science shows you live longer, of course. We slow down aging, such as skin and muscle wastage. We increase our longevity, increase our productivity. We lose weight, we gain muscle, which I've touched on uh, as we've gone through this presentation. Five things to do this week, guys, with yourselves or with your clients, however you want to do it. Get enough sunlight or slash artificial light if it's a particularly gloomy morning or dark morning, 20 to 60 minutes every morning. It's an absolute game changer. It is the starting gun for your circadian rhythm. So it will tell the brain when to do everything. If we get that light in the morning, the brain will get the green light and go, right, I can shut the sleep process off fully now. 
I can do what else, the other stuff that I need to. So it will also increase vitamin D, serotonin and dopamine throughout the day that will be stored up in the body as we go through the, um, through the day. And then when we need it in the evening, the brain has it there built up ready to help us feel relaxed because we've had enough daylight in the, uh, the right times. Stop eating and drinking three hours before bed to get digestion complete. I've touched on the science behind that and how it can affect us. Avoid screens 60 to 90 minutes before bed. We've all heard of this. It's not always possible, but there are things out there we can wear, such as really good um, blue light blocking glasses. Uh, I would recommend a pair called Blue Blocks, uh, blocks with an X uh, rather than a CKS. Uh, blue Blocks are really good. The science back ones. Uh, Morning, you lose around a litre of water due to dehydration. I don't understand how people can just get up and drink coffee straight away without drinking any water. Because if you went for seven to nine hours without drinking during the day, you would feel pretty crap. So we've not had water for that period whilst we've been asleep. We wake up and we don't drink water. That's not a good sign. So get a litre in first thing. And then on top of that, we can drink caffeine if we need to. But ideally, we want to be cutting it out after 2 p.m. to give us around an eight to nine hour window before bed like i said the half-life is six hours so we can push that uh to around eight or nine and it should help us in the long run if we're really really dependent on caffeine uh but the best thing to do if you really really want it is to delay it for 90 minutes in the morning don't have it as soon as you get up even if you have your water and then your coffee have your water first delay for 90 minutes and then have your caffeine reason being mentioned cortisol in the morning. We also have an increase of adrenaline when we wake up. Those two hormones will be competing with the caffeine. The caffeine will be ingested. First thing the caffeine wants to do is go to the brain. The cortisol and adrenaline are there. They just block it. They're like the bouncer to the club. You're not coming in. Then the caffeine wears off. Cortisol and adrenaline wear off at the same time and we feel sleepy again because neither of those uh, substances and hormones have had their potent effect. So if we delay it, the cortisol and adrenaline do their thing. They do what they need to do to get us wake fully within the first hour to hour and a half. And then when they've worn off properly, the caffeine can come in and take over and it can actually have a much more potent effect because it doesn't have anything to compete with. So delaying it in the morning allows for the timing to be done from the body, from a circadian rhythm perspective, and it allows for the caffeine to just not have anything in the way to have the, the potent effect that it needs to. And then on top of that, we don't become dependent on rest on more cups throughout the day and we can actually cut back on the amount of caffeine we need because the first cup we had had a really good effect with our focus so give that a try guys that works for a lot of people it's just natural it's just how circadian rhythm works and it's how the hormone production in the morning works as well so try those tips and uh, i'll send the documents over on top of that as well which are sleep journal morning and evening routines and bedroom products james i'll email them over after this presentation mate with that being said, it is our uh, live Q&A time. So I'll go back to you, mate. Mate, I thought that was brilliant. I've got about 10 pages of notes. Um, and there's loads of questions I've got. And then there's obviously loads of guys in the group have said. If Basically, what I'll do is if I run through the ones in the chat box, and then guys, yeah. if you want to come on and you want to ask any, um, we'll get we'll get Gary to go through those. So I'll go through the chat box first. Um, yes. Right. One, one I'll put in to start with, how would... Uh, all of this like affect people doing uh, shift work and like working nights to days to days to nights and things like that. 
Yeah, so shift work's obviously a massive factor in the modern world, like loads of people are shift workers. Um, but we need to have more awareness of the timing. Like the timing is the biggest thing by far when it comes to sleep. If we're a shift worker, it's even more crucial. And what I mean by that is if we're working nights and days and we're flicking between alternative schedules, we can have two different schedules for the shifts that we're doing. So we're not just going around one schedule and getting by on the days that it works and, and struggling on the days that it doesn't work. So we need to know our hours, of course. We need to know when we can eat in those hours. So we're giving ourselves enough time when we come home from the night shift to go to bed. And then when we go to bed, we need to be making sure that bedroom's dark and cool. We don't have any distractions. The opposite for the day shift, of course, you know, if we're having a day shift, it's a bit easier to manage around that because it's more in sync with the biological clock of the body because we're working in daylight hours. So we can have a schedule for that or we can go, right, I can eat at this time and I can stick with that. And then when I'm on a night shift, I can eat at this time and I can stick with that rather than trying to fit the two into one because it's just not going to work. There's no clear answer for that question. I'll be honest with you, transparent, because shift work is goes against everything biologically that the body wants to do, right? We're just throwing, throwing the rule book out the window here. So we have to be in a state of adaption and awareness. We need to have a fail-safe uh, fail plan as well. So if we just have the one schedule, it's gonna make it very difficult to stick to. If we have the two schedules, we go, right, this is my night shift schedule. This is my day shift schedule. This is when I eat. This is when I drink. This is when I get sunlight, et cetera, et cetera. And when I get home, this is how my environment's going to be to allow me to get the best level of sleep that I can. It's going to be dark, it's going to be cool, and we're going to have no distractions. So that's what I would do. It can be a bit of work, but I understand, you know, there's around 750 million, I believe, shift workers across the globe. So it does affect a ton of people. Um, and that is my personal suggestion. But of course, you know, do your own research, guys, as well. There's loads of stuff out there on shift work and uh, take what you want from that and implement as much of it as you can. Cool, thanks, mate. Like Ben, hopefully that helps you out a little bit, mate. Um, next one, can you train yourself to be a morning person? You can't necessarily train yourself, but you can adapt your timing to get some benefit from it. So if, you, if you're naturally a night owl and you want to be waking up at seven, half seven or even eight o'clock and you're in a job where you're a morning lark, you have to be at work for seven, and you have to be up at say five, you can change your timing around that, but you're never going to quite get the same effect as if you were blended into your natural chronotype. So I've been in that before. I'm naturally a night owl. I kind of go to bed around 11, half 11 and wake up around seven. That's when I'm, that's when I'm at my best. And I used to work a job where I have to get up at half five and then be in the office for half six. And I just felt like crap in the morning. But the more I learned about sleep, as a whole now, the more I know that you can change things in your day, such as daylight, such as water intake. Water intake was crucial. Nutritional timing, exercise timing, uh, even stress in the evening as well. Knowing how to decrease your stress to get sleep quality improved in the evening is paramount. So um, what I mean by that is little things. Like I used to love getting in and I used to love watching a, like a shut your brain off movie like fast and furious or something where you just sit in front of the tv and you're just like yeah I, I don't need to follow this but that's high intensity action movie and it's going to increase your heart rate surprisingly because your brain's seeing that on the screen you may not be aware of it but it's going to increase your heart rate so when you go to bed you're gonna be like oh my brain's not been thinking much your body is going to be wired because you've watched something fast-paced 
So something like that, doing that at the right time in the evening for you can be really, really crucial. Now, all I do is I usually listen to a podcast or something in bed. I put my blue light blocking glasses on. Obviously, I'm using my phone, put the podcast on. And then when I start to feel sleepy, everything goes away. But yeah, I mean, it's never the ideal scenario, but modern life doesn't always allow for that. So just be aware of your timing. Use the sleep journal that I'll send to you, James, as much as you can. And then um, where is Henry on the screen? Oh, yeah, there he is. Um, I can't talk to him because he's only got his camera on. But yeah, Henry, um, fill that sleep journal out, mate. And then just see how you feel. Rate your energy, rate your mood in the morning, rate your focus in the morning. And then look at what you can do in the evening off of the evening routine document. Maybe you can implement some of that stuff to help you get better sleep or deep quality sleep, even if you can't get the ideal seven to nine hours that you need. Cool. No, perfect. Thank you. Um, I've had another one from Henry. Uh, thoughts on Arnold Schwarzenegger saying six hours sleep is enough and saying sleep faster. <laughs> okay. I've heard that one before. Um, yeah. Arnie is a genetic freak, which is why he was Mr. Olympia like six times. Um, there are people out there, guys, like this is, I, I apply this to the general public mainly, okay? But 4% of the population can get less than six hours of sleep and feel fully rested. I know for a fact Elon Musk is in that category, right? So that's why he can run SpaceX, Tesla, uh, all of his other companies and feel great. He gets six hours a night and he's okay. But for the majority, for the other 96% of the population, we need to get seven to nine hours of sleep because we're not going to have the maximum health benefits. That 4% of the population is a huge amount of people still that can get that. Uh, you know, I think there's nearly 8 billion people on the planet now. 4% of that number is huge. So there'll always be that person or famous person who's made it, you know, and I love Arnie and I've heard that quote many a time. Um, and they will say stuff like that, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's best for you. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get the benefit. To put it uh, another way, Jeff Bezos, you know, richest man in the world, he gets eight hours a night. He said, if I get less than eight hours, I just feel crap and I can't be my best. And now he's not CEO of Amazon anymore. So he has a bit less responsibility. But when he did, as busy as he was, he was still allowing for eight hours of sleep. So he could quite easily cut that down and become this, you know, super entrepreneur, but that was what he stuck to. So yeah, the Arnie quote is, um, depends on the context of the, uh, the person that's uh, listening to it, I suppose. But yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. Give it a try, Emery. See how you feel. <laughs> um, yeah. Next one. Yeah, uh, yeah. What we got? So I think we covered this one. How long before sleep should we stop drinking? So three hours. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, with the evening routine, I've, I read somewhere before, if you were to have a hot shower like an hour before you go to bed, that goes from hot to the temperature dropping. Is that is that like a good thing to try? Yeah, hot shower is actually really, really beneficial because you're, that, will, that can help kickstart the process to cool down your body. So if your circadian rhythm is slightly off, you have a hot shower, the body's like, right, I need to cool down now quick. If we have a cold shower thinking we're going to lower our body temperature, that's going to do the opposite because the body's the body's going to be like, well, it's it's too early for me to fully be cool. Like, I need to be cool between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. So I'm just going to raise the temperature slightly. So when we go to sleep, we're going to uh, have a higher core temperature, which is quite a funny thing, but it's just how the body works. Okay. So, yeah, I would recommend a hot shower or hot bath before bed, but not too soon. I'll probably say an hour, hour tops, really. And then just coming to that then, in the morning, I have a cold shower. 
So would that be the opposite to that? So that's... No, yeah, it can do. Cold showers have loads of benefits. Um, I mean, one of the benefits is obviously focus because it you know, wakes up the frontal lobe in the brain. It can help your respiratory system as well. Um, but it can also, in the winter, it can help jack up your core temperature faster because um, the body needs to work hard to get you warmer. In the summer, I mean, it doesn't really impact you too much because you've still got the warm temperature during the day. Okay. You know, in the, in the summer, if you're having a warm shower, the body wants to get cooled down faster because it's, it wants to rest and it wants to go to sleep. Whereas in the morning, it's going to work harder to warm you up, you know, regardless, really. So, yeah, it doesn't really impact you too much. Cool. Okay. Um, yeah, general eye openers, caffeine. Um, been allowing tea in the evening, but surprised at the caffeine level on it. Um, is there any more questions, guys? I've got a couple more. If anyone wants to come on and share, I'll go, I'll go through mine. So obviously with someone doing this caffeine thing, so they're having like nine o'clock, 12 o'clock, three o'clock, I can't mm. remember what the other ones were. If they were wanting to get out of that routine without feeling fatigued and tired from cutting that caffeine out, like what's the best way to do that? You can either change your caffeine source. So you're still getting, you're still getting the same amount of caffeine, but it's coming from a different source. So what I mean by that is you can get like 100 milligrams from a cup of coffee. You can have, say, five green teas. So you're still getting the same amount, but it's coming from a better source. And then it has a different effect on you as well. Like not all caffeine is the same. I mean, caffeine in a Red Bull can is going to be a lot different to caffeine coming from natural coffee bean. So that's how um, we can kind of dissociate that as well. So we, if we see caffeine as coffee, we start having green tea we wouldn't necessarily associate it with caffeine. It's a different thing, but our body's getting the same response. So we're not going to get the caffeine headaches. You know, we're not going to get the, the vasodilation where the brain blood vessels shrink and we just get those one-sided headaches or whatever. Um, if we're just going cold turkey from caffeine, they can be quite common and they can be horrible as well. So that's one thing I would suggest. And the, the ultimate thing is what I mentioned in the presentation, which is delay it for 90 minutes. It genuinely is a game changer. If you allow your natural hormones in the morning to do what they need to do and not try and block caffeine away from the brain, then that is the, ma the magic ticket for a lot of people. So give that a try. And then you're like, I feel focused now. I've only had one cup and it's like one o'clock. And you're like, I don't need another one. Or you have one more when usually you would have had four or five that day because you haven't done it at the right time. If you want to know more about this stuff, James, I recommend reading a book by... Um, Dr. Sachin Panda. I'll just put this in the chat, guys. Yeah, I won't be able to spell that. Um, <laughs> Dr. Sachin Panda. It's called The Circadian Code, right? And it just talks more in depth. I could talk and talk and talk about this, but I don't want to come across as boring. And obviously, you know, we've only got limited time. The Circadian Code talks about time-restricted eating, eating in a 12-hour window or eating in a less than 12-hour window because um, most people's eating window is 15 hours. So we have, say we have breakfast at like, if we've got a job, we have breakfast at like half six and then we, we don't eat dinner till like eight or nine o'clock some nights, depending on our hours. That's more true in America with, with the whole corporate setup over there. But have a look at that book because it talks about the benefits of timing when it comes to nutrition and it talks about how it affects the body. Like I said, the body wants to do everything at a certain time if we're extending our digestion period beyond 12 hours, then that can be really, really bad because the body's just storing that excess food as glucose and sugar and fat. 
And no matter what you eat, any excess calorie will get stored as that. It doesn't matter how healthy you're eating. If you're eating over a 15 hour window, your calories aren't getting broken down as much as they need to because the digestive process is outside of that scope. And he talks about that in the book. So have a look at that guys. And again, he talks about light and the influence of light as well uh, in greater detail than I have on this presentation. So that's a fantastic book to read. Perfect. Thank you, mate. Um, I think I've gone through my questions. Um, oh yeah. So with the, obviously the, the morning lark and the evening lark, uh, the night owl, say yeah. 10 a.m. is your highest alertness. Would that be when you set your highest like priority tasks for the day, like the big ones? And, yeah. and then, like, I, would, yeah. I would say as a rule for morning larks, the creativity needs to be done before 11 a.m. And for a night owl, it can be done after 2 p.m. That's what I would suggest because most people will be in the night owl category. They'll be like, oh, I, can, I don't feel tired or I don't have um, energy in the morning, but I have energy in the afternoon. So with well, the morning lark, it's quite the opposite. And then obviously the smaller dynamic as well. And uh, 11 a.m. As a, as a rule is what I would suggest. Night owl after sort of 2 p.m. when the creative juices are flowing or the critical thinking can be there. That's what I would suggest for that. Cool, thank you. I just got another question coming. Um, I don't drink tea or coffee, but drink Pepsi Max a lot. Reduces intake though. When uh, when I do when when I do when's best? Middle of the day. Yeah, middle of the day, twelve o'clock or one o'clock for having like a last can of that would be good. Um, I don't actually know how much caffeine is in Pepsi Max um, because it hasn't got sugar in it, like. I don't, I don't think Pepsi Max has any in it. I don't. Yeah. I'll double check. I think Pepsi Max is caffeine-free. Yeah, full-fat Coke does. Yeah. Um, that's done in a different way to Diet Coke, but I don't know about Pepsi Max. Um, but yeah, if you can, if Glenn, if you can cut it out, mate, around midday or, or one, then that's great. Uh, just see how, um, see how you get on with that. And uh, yeah, just one more question there, James, as well, from Gur. I'm a morning lark. When's the best time to learn new things like languages or maths? Again, before 11 a.m., if you're getting up at half five, your brain's going to be, and you go through your morning routine, your brain's going to be at its best time, probably from around seven to 11. So if you want to learn new things, I would suggest doing them early in the morning and seeing how you get on. How do you currently do that, mate? Because I can see you're on camera now. So I come off mute, Dave. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, basically, I'm up at like five o'clock every morning for work and I work like I'm a, a labourer. So I do a physically hard job all day. Um, yeah. And the only time I really get to do anything like reading or, you know, learning new stuff is in the evenings or, okay. or uh, weekends. So obviously you saying that morning is better, then it would make sense that I do it at the weekends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Morning would be better for you if you're used to getting up at that time. Um, I wouldn't necessarily recommend, you can still do it in the evening, but your brain's just not going to be there. Unless you're making a ton of nights you can come back to when you've got time, I wouldn't really recommend it. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I would say. It's just, it's just hard because obviously you're, you're a labourer, like you've physically got demanding job, mate. So learning is not always going to be the easiest thing to do for you. But uh, yeah, weekends, make the most of it smash it out in the morning you'll probably feel a lot more productive that time of day as well um and yeah. you'll just store more information like your memory or attention will be a lot better than if you were trying to do it in the evening during the week okay 
Um, I've got another question as well. With regards to like training, um, I used to get up, but this was like before I actually started having to work earlier, but I used to get up at five in the morning and train. And I felt better, that I felt I slept better when I trained in the morning. And now, because I have to be up so early, I train when I get home. So I can be training until like seven o'clock. And my sleep, I don't get very calm sleep. And I think obviously hearing what you've said, it's something to do with that. Hmm. Um, yeah, it will be it will be your um it will be your core temperature and your core size It's by far the biggest thing uh, for people yeah. that work out, you know, in the evening and they can't get to sleep because you you sound like a morning lark, like you're you're used to that and obviously your um learning skills are there even on weekends when you're not in that usual routine, you feel better in the morning. I like yeah. Exercising, so yeah, definitely a morning lark in my opinion. Um, but when can you work out? How many times are you working out at the moment? Um, I've just, just started a new routine through James. Um, so I'm working out. You know, I'm running uh, two days a week and training uh, two to three days a week. Um, but yeah, we're still trying to get into a you know see what's going to work best for me at the moment. Um, but yeah, just trying to work out whether I can train before I go to work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, James, I'll leave that one to you, mate. But um, yeah, I, I would, um, in my opinion, I would do any kind of heavy, intense training at the weekend when you can do it in the morning. And yeah. I would do kind of running or any sort of light exercise, if you can, in the evening. Um, because, I mean, you're not going to have the ideal scenario where you can, where you can work out in the morning from what you just told me um like unless you work out like the like the rock does at 4am and going to work um but yeah i would do that that's what i would say because your body's going to be likely to perform better because your nervous system is going to be better it's going to be more wired your cell activation levels can be higher in your muscles in the mornings so on the weekends you know do the heavy lifting do the squats do the deadlifts do the bench whatever you want to do whatever james can for you and then in the evenings, I would do like active recovery stuff like light running, maybe go and run a couple of miles just to keep your cardio high. And then yeah. obviously it's not too taxing. Like you're going to get your breathing rate up, but you're not going to absolutely exhaust your nervous system if you, as if you were lifting weights um, right. under heavy tension. That's what I would say. But obviously, James, if you completely disagree, mate, he's your client. He's your client. I'm not going to interfere or tread on your toes. But I'm here to just kind of give my opinion and just, from a sleep perspective and timing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We'll chat about this, Dave, because obviously you've got these intense runs that you've got to do. So yeah. if, if you stay on, like I'll, I'll afterwards anyway, if anyone wants to stay on and chat, then they can. But um, yeah, no, that's, I think hopefully that's cleared it up for you, Dave. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I don't good. think there's any more questions. So what I think we'll do, guys, if everyone puts kind of like their biggest takeaway, their biggest learning from today into the box and thank Gary for his time. Um, just yeah, type type in your biggest takeaway in the box so just we we know kind of who's learned what. And if there is any other questions, chuck them in quickly. But yeah, no, that's been gold, Gary. So thank you very much. No worries, mate. Yeah, I um I just I just can talk too much sometimes. It's my uh it's my uh, weakness, I suppose. But yeah, it's just something that I'm I'm, I'm passionate about. Like, I want to make sure you guys get the maximum value from it. So yeah, if you've got any more questions, throw them in. I don't mind running over another five minutes, mate, whatever you want to uh, do. I have got so, another question, actually. Sorry. Um, what about, uh, so 
one thing that I have a bit of an issue with is my partner. Uh, my girlfriend snores like a freight train, and <laughs> and she's she's a a fidget ass as well. So right. she quite often wakes me up. Uh, like the thing that I find mostly is she falls asleep before me, so the snoring stops me getting to sleep. And then when I eventually do get to sleep, I get an arm across the face or a knee in the back or something like that, and that wakes me up. So. I, th- I think, to be honest, she could do with being on one of these calls because she she really needs to uh, sleep more soundly. Um, but yeah, it's I don't know whether there's anything you can prescribe for that other than getting rid of her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, other than a straight jacket, Dave, I wouldn't suggest yeah. anything. Else, mate. Um, that's al- that's always a hard one, mate. Like, I mean, if she's snoring, then it's like it's like she's breathing through her mouth too much, yeah. and that's causing her to move because her body doesn't have the right air in its system. I see this quite a lot with people with sleep apnea. They, um, they breathe through their mouth and then when, they, when their breathing rate slows down, they toss and turn and fidget all the time. Not saying yeah. obviously she has sleep apnea, but it can be a factor if you're breathing through your mouth. Um, humans are not designed to breathe through their mouths. We're designed to breathe through our nose, funnily enough. Because right. if we're breathing through our mouth and we're lying on our back, it's positioning our tongue in a different place, which is what causes the snoring. Yeah. Because it restricts the back of the throat. And that's what causes that rattling noise because the air is trying to get through. And it, right. because we're lying on our back, all the pressure's on our chest and our, and our throat and our back and everything else. And it causes that. So maybe she could do some breath work. Maybe she could do that in the evenings and it could focus her breathing through her nose. And over time... Yeah. Hopefully that might change her breathing pattern when she's asleep. So maybe she doesn't snore so much, but that's going to be different coming from you than it is coming from me. Cause she's probably just going to tell you to fuck off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I'm happy to have a chat with her, mate. I mean, I, that's what I would suggest is like one, a 1% gain. Look at Wim Hof methods for breathing. Like people look at Wim Hof. He, that can be a game changer for a lot of people because even when people are just sat at their desk, they're breathing through their mouth and that can lead to snoring and discomfort at night. So maybe try that. Just see how you get on, mate. Okay. Appreciate it. No worries, mate. Thank you. Rob, I think you had one. Yeah, I was, I was just going to jump in. Uh, I, I had a predefined question before I came. I think you've actually given me the answer, but I just therefore wanted oh, to share anyway and say thanks for that. Um, I, I'm actually, I've, I've always used to think I was more of an insomniac. I used to, as James knows, have quite a small amount of sleep and we have managed to increase that from uh, what it used to be. But nice. I was I was finding it quite easy to get to sleep. I'm generally asleep within about 10 minutes, but waking up sometime around four or five o'clock in the mornings. And then if I'd either doze back off or I'd struggle to get back to sleep, that seems to be my sort of problem around there. But listening to what you said, I think um, I was falling too much into having caffeine a bit later in the evening in the form of tea rather than coffee, thinking, oh, tea's fine. But looking at what's hidden in there, a couple of cups of that probably won't be helping. And I was trying to keep my water or fluid intake up. So I was drinking fruits of sort of nine or ten rather than, by the sounds of it, cutting that out around about eight o'clock or so would probably help as well. Because typically lying there four or five in the morning, I'm going, Oh, well, I'll go for a wee then and see if that helps sort of thing. Whilst if I, um, so I reckon those two things will probably be 
hopefully quite a big change for me and I'll get back more towards uh, a more consistent sort of six and a half hours that I'm tending to get, which I'd like to try and get a bit more towards that seven. But even there, listening to what you were saying earlier, I think I was overstressing about trying to get that magic seven and actually if six and a half is what works for me, fine. Yeah, six and a half can work. Like I'm, I'm not mm. saying, you know, seven and nine, like I said, 4% of people can get six hours and feel rested. So six and a half might work for you, Rob. Mm. Like, might work. So just see how you feel. As long as you're feeling good and you're not feeling sleepy at say three o'clock, four o'clock in the, in the afternoon, and you can actually get through the whole day and feel mm. sleepy around dinner time or later, then it's good. Yeah. But you see, tea's a weird one because people, think it's so different to coffee how much caffeine yeah. can you have but like i said the molecular structure of caffeine is almost identical to adenosine and it's just not going to cause you to feel sleepy at the right times even any any amount of caffeine can can help mm. um inhibit that process and in water as well caffeine is a diuretic as well so if you're drinking more water still got cutting back on the caffeine caffeine's going to make you go to the toilet more especially when your body's winding down trying to flush out toxins what does it do it takes the water from the muscles and flushes them out that way. So with caffeine, that's going to hurry up the process of going to the toilet as well. So yeah, um, just keep working on that with James, man. Like James obviously got your back and just any questions, James, reach out to me or Rob, you can reach out to me. I'm more than happy to help you out, man. Cool. Thanks for your help. Cool, perfect. Yeah, just a couple of thank yous in there. Um, caffeine was a learning curve. Uh, Tyson said, Dave, get rid of her. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you got uh, Ben. <laughs> She's not listening, is she? No, oh, that's right. Then. Uh, ben no. said, uh, adaption and awareness of my shifts and can take two uh, schedules to suit. We're also taking dropping the caffeine, uh, realizing that's a source of energy. Take a load from the thorn in. Thank you. Um, yeah, caffeine info shot me realizing that I need to change the way I exercise, the times, etc. Very interesting. Yeah, so yeah, absolute gold, mate. And Really awesome. appreciate your time. And I've taken loads from this as well, which I can obviously relay back to um, other clients. So if everyone, um, oh yeah, no, yeah, Henry's just said cheers, Gary, as well. So yeah, thank you guys. Um, I'm going to hang around um, if anyone wants to stay on, if there's anything they want to catch up on. Um, I'll stay here for another 10 minutes or so, but thank you so much, Gary. Um, I'll drop you a message. No um, I'll drop you a message in a bit as well. And hopefully we'll get another one of these in at another time if, if you guys want it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, perfect. Okay, cool. So, yeah, thanks, everyone. And, yeah, I'll wait around for another 10 minutes if anyone wants a chat. Awesome. Cheers, James. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Gary. Me. Cheers, mate. Yeah. Thanks for your time. Right. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Thanks, Gary. Yeah, I'll hang around, James. Yeah, mate. I'm off. I've got work to do. So, thanks for, right, ben. Thanks for Cheers, that. Cheers, mate. Yeah. I'll catch up with you later, Ben. Yeah, have a good weekend, guys. Cheers. Cheers, mate. See you soon. Right, I'll stop the recording. <laughs>